Hey, good morning, everybody. It's Friday, end of the week, and we're getting ready for a great weekend. Got a bunch of car stuff lined up for myself and the wife. We're going to be doing it. Hope you get to do some, too, but you've got gas. The morning edition, it's here, it's Friday. I'm Hot Rod Bob, the great American auto scene since 1990. Your award-winning show about what's hot, what's not, what could be, what should be, and a little bit of humor and trivia along the way. Now, one of the cars that set the world on fire as far as performance was the GTO. Now, it was not the first muscle car. If you go back to the origins of the Chrysler 300s, those were really the first muscle car, but they had a different appeal. They were luxurious cars with Hemis and lots of horsepower, but they didn't appeal to the youth market. They didn't appeal to the general market. They were halo cars that brought people into the showroom, did well on the NASCAR tracks, but muscle car? Not by the status and the terms used in the 60s. Well, John Z. DeLorean, a car nut, and uh, over probably egoed executive at Generous Motors, worked with a few people to come up with a car that would appeal to the youth market. And they were one of the first ones to do it. Now, in 1964, Generous Motors had decided to upgrade their compact cars into medium-sized cars. The Skylark, the Tempest, the Oldsmobile Cutlass were going to be moved up into a medium market. Now, Chevrolet was going to get a medium-sized car. They didn't have one before that. The Chevelle. Well... In 1957, the automakers had decided, for some reason, to not support racing. They banned factory-sponsored factory racing. It didn't last too long, but it lasted long enough that the performance was now being, well, advertised as street performance, not racing performance. But there were backdoor deals. We all know about it. Smokey Yannick and a few others got some special things. Bill Jenkins and so forth. They got the 409s, Z11s. I mean, those things, they put out some horsepower. But were they muscle cars? Well, they were muscular cars, but they were big cars for the most part. And the youth market, although they did know about it, and a lot of people gravitated towards them, they were heavy. They were hard to get moving. And unless you got the big lunk of motors, they weren't really all that fast. A good 327 Chevy was just about as quick as a big block. It was lighter. It had less weight to pull around. But when they came out with the medium-sized cars, General Motors thought they would now attract a younger market. They weren't compact cars any longer, so they got away from that. You got this little bitty K. They came up with the medium-sized cars. The Olds Cutlass went up medium. The Skylark went up medium. The Chevy got their new... Chevelle, that they didn't have anything in that market, and Pontiac got the Le Mans, the Tempest, in the medium market. Now, General Motors had a ban on which engines could go in these vehicles. They limited it to 330 cubic inches. Oldsmobile, 330 cubic inches in the first 442s. Buick, 330 inches in the Skylarks, even the GS, 330 cubic inches. Chevrolet had a 327. Of course, they had the L79 with 360 horsepower, which was plenty powerful and had more horse pressure than the Olds and the Buick. But Pontiac, well, they found a loophole. 
John Z. DeLorean did his research. Now, he wasn't alone on the GTO development project, although he's given credit for being the father of the GTO. But it was actually John Z. DeLorean, Bill Collins, Russ Jean. These were the guys that pushed for the GTO. And DeLorean stole the GTO name from Ferrari. Again, DeLorean was a little bit of a rebel within the confines of Generous Motors in that he was more outgoing, more exciting, more excited, and more flamboyant. And the GTO was just that. Now, with the first two years of the GTO, it was just a trim option on the Le Mans. Yes, just a trim option. So if you have a Le Mans and you have a GTO, other than the badges and the hood, there is no difference unless you find the engine numbers. And that's where the big difference came in on the Le Mans and the GTO. The Le Mans can only be outfitted with a 326 cubic inch V8 engine. The GTO snuck in the 389. Now, DeLorean and his bunch of men figured out a way to get around the GM ban on engines no bigger than 330 cubic inches. It became an option code. And the option code was for the GTO. Now, the sales manager at the time didn't really like that idea. He didn't think the GTO would be an attractive car to anyone. And he really didn't want to push it. He put a limit on it of 5,000 units. Now, Pete Muriello is telling us he can't understand why car makers increase the size of their models to the point where they have introduced a new small model only to do the same thing with that. Yeah, it, exactly. And Pete brings up a good point. Because what happened was the midsize cars coming out in 1964 from Generous Motors became big cars by the end of their run in 1974. So they were no longer, they were still considered intermediates, but the intermediate became a bigger car. And in American car manufacturing, bigger is better until they realized that a lot of people were buying naturally small imported cars. But that's another story. We'll go into that another time. We're talking about the GTO. The little GTO. You're really looking fine. Eh, never mind. I can't say where the damn. Anyway, so the GTO first hit the streets in 1964. Not an economy car by any stretch of the imagination. It was not an inexpensive car. Hundreds of dollars more than the Chevy Chevelle, about the same as a Buick or an Oldsmobile, but the Pontiac had a different market. The people buying Buicks were primarily 60 to 70 years old. Yeah, people like me, except they weren't as enthusiastic as we were or are at our age today, because, and never mind. But the Buick owner, the demographics were stodgy, workers that were executives that really hadn't made the cut. They didn't have a Cadillac, so they drove a Buick, and that's what they had. Oldsmobile drivers were a little bit younger, a little bit more enthusiastic, but they were on their way up. They were climbing the ladder. And in those days, now we're not talking about imports. We're talking about the American cars and the people they and the people that bought them. The Chevy drivers, they were younger. They were more enthusiastic. The Chevy Chevelle SS was a hit. And it outsold all three of the other GM brands. But the GTO was special. The GTO started the modern-day muscle car revolution. 389 cubic inches in the intermediate car. It was fast. 
However, it did have its shortfalls. And Car and Driver magazine brought up, well, it goes straight really nice. Don't turn and don't try and stop. Ain't going to do it. They had the same drum brakes as the Pontiac Le Mans and the Tempest. A six-cylinder Tempest got the same brakes as the V8s. Not enough stopping power. The power steering was a slow ratio, and the non-power steering was even slower. The reason for that was, well, it was hard to steer with a faster steering ratio, so they put in a slower ratio, about 21, 22 to 1. That made steering very slow and feeling sloppy. The cars did not turn very well. The cars were not really light either at 3,500 pounds. Now, you know, we know in drag racing, the lighter the better. Well, 3,500 pounds is pretty darn heavy, but the GTO, it went, it moved. Now, the base engine was 325 horsepower. It's a single Carter four-barrel, 389 dual exhaust, chrome valve covers. Ooh, they were, made the car so much faster. <laughs> it had a Hurst shifter, stiffer springs, larger diameter sway bar in the front, nothing in the rear, wider wheels. It had 750 by 14. Teen red striped tires, and they were the hot ticket. I don't think they got any better traction. They just looked cool back in the day. The GTO badges, the hood scoops, the optional equipment included a four-speed manual transmission. The three-speed manual was still standard, and you could get a two-speed slush box transmission, automatic. Basically, the Pontiac Oldsmobile the version of the Power Glide. So, acceleration with those automatic transmissions wasn't really good. Most people did not go for a three-speed, so the four-speed was the hot ticket. And with the four-speed, you got some acceleration. You had different rear-end ratios you could choose from, and you could make these things launch pretty good. Now, the optional tri-power setup on the Pontiac had been going on since 1957. wasn't anything new, but on the 389, it bumped the horsepower up to 348 cubic inches. They also added metallic brake drum linings. This helped a bit in the stopping, but still wasn't up to snuff for the amount of power and speed this car was capable of. It had a limited slip differential, posi, as they called it, posi traction, a heavy-duty cooling system because that big engine made some heat. And it had what they called a ride and handling package, with power convenience accessories, so you could make a, G make a GTO into a luxury car for the time. But that wasn't the goal for DeLorean. They did sell well, and that 5,000 number was eclipsed easily the first year. Now, CarLife criticized the car for its slow steering, and even without power steering and inadequate drum brakes. Car and Driver incited controversy when it mentioned that the GTO that had been given to them for testing and evaluation was actually a modified car with the Royal Oak, Michigan dealer's Bobcat upgrade kit. Yes, there were upgraders that did Pontiacs. It wasn't just Tom, Nicky Thompson, Thomas and all the others or that did the Chevys. There were guys doing Pontiacs back in the days, too. And Royal Oak, Michigan's Royal Pontiac did a job on Pontiac Tempests and other Pontiacs of the day. So they didn't tell them that this may have had that Bobcat kit in it. But what they also didn't tell them is what the car and driver guys thought was it didn't have the 389 after all. It had the big 421. Now, you got to remember, guys, back in those days, whether it was a 326, a 389, or a 421, 
from the outside, it was a Pontiac motor. It looked exactly the same. The guys at Car and Driver didn't check the numbers quite right, but they got a 12.8 quarter mile time. Uh, it's not a 389 time. I had a 389. I never went that quick. I never went close to that quick. Not in stock form. So that's where the controversy came up. They thought they had gotten uh, a little bamboozled with this one. Now, although the original GTO package was supposed to only be 5,000 cars in the first year of production, they sold 32,000 GTOs. Oh, baby. A uh, sales manager at Pontiac was really wrong, and he had egg all over his face, and DeLorean showed him the way. Now, I've talked about the Royal Bobcat. Through the 60s, Ace Wilson's Pon Royal Pontiac in Royal Oak, Michigan, offered a special tune-up package for Pontiac 389 engines. The components and instructions could be purchased by mail, so you got a mail order situation back there, or installed by a dealer. The majority of DTOs made available for media testing were equipped with this Bob Bobcat kit. Now, what did it include? Well, let's take a look at that. Milt joined Royal Pontiac and helped improve performance in the enhancement package. Now, what they did is they recurved the distributor, gave it from 34 to 36 degrees of advance, no more than 3,000 RPM, and it was hitting it. That, that improved the acceleration. They also put thinner copper head gaskets on it. It raised the compression ratio to over 11 to 1. A special intake manifold gaskets and block that would block the heat riser to keep the carburetor cooler. Kept the fuel charge cooler, making more horsepower. It had different jets, lo locking rocker nuts to hold the hydraulic valve lifters at their maximum point of adjustment, allowing the engine to rev higher without floating the valves. Properly installed, the kit would add about 30 to 50 horsepower. Mm -mm, baby, that's a move. Now, although it required high-octane gas at the time, and remember, we had super high-octane at that point. I can remember getting over 100 octane at the Chevron station. You could avoid spark knock with the higher compression and advanced timing. And, and you got the Royal Bobcat stickers to put on the car to really scare the competition. Thank you, Roger. I, I kind of like it, too. All right, the Tempest model lineup included the GTO in 1965, and they restyled the front end, taillights, and so forth, but it was still the basic chassis, and the car added three and a half inches in overall length because of the modified fenders and the bumper locations. Brake lining area was increased. They listened to the magazines. They bumped up the brake lining area 15%. Heavier-duty shocks were standard and was a bigger sway bar again. The dashboard design was changed just a little bit. Optional rally gauge cluster was added. $86, you got the rally gauge system on it. Now, the 389 engine received some revised cylinder heads and record intake passages with high-rise intake manifolds. Got the carburetor up a little bit higher, helped the uh, improved airflow to the engine, and it rated... The horsepower was rated now at 335 base at 5,000 RPM with a four-barrel. The tri-power went up to 360 horsepower. The S-camped tri-power engine had a slightly less peak torque rating than those of the base engine at 425 compared to 431 for the regular one. Now, transmissions and axle ratios remained the same. The three-speed manual was still standard. 
Two four-speed manual transmissions, a wide and a close ratio, were now available, and that sloppy two-speed automatic transmission was still an option. Ordered by some of the housewives or husbands that bought the car for their housewife, saying, oh, honey, got this fancy car for you. Didn't tell them that it had all that horsepower, but that's what they did. Now, CarLife tested the 65 GTO with the Tri-Power, and they considered it the most desirable option. A close-ratio four-speed transmission, power steering, metallic brake linings, rally wheels, a 411 limited slip, posi rear end, the rally gauge cluster, and the sticker price, $3,643. Now, they clock into the quarter mile at 14.5 seconds. Again, compare that to what car and driver got at 12.8. Yeah, they didn't have a 389 in that car and driver car. No bout to doubt it. Now, the four-barrel version was tested by Motor Trend, and the heavier convertible handicapped the two-speed automatic. Just having a two-speed automatic was a handicap, I'll tell you. But... It went through the quarter mile in 16.1. Ooh, a lot slower than the coupe. Now, major criticisms of the GTO continued to center around its slow steering ratio. Now, they're saying it's 17.5 turns lock to lock with power steering. And for a sporty type car, that is slow. So it, what that means is you've got to turn the wheel more to get it to turn so you didn't get quick response. Uh, my car right now has a 14 to 1, and it's really quick. It's nice. It's kind of like go-kart. Now, in 1966, the GTO became a separate Pontiac model on its own. It was model number 242. Instead of being an option package on the Tempest and Le Mans, the entire A-body intermediate line was restyled again in 1966, and the GTO got its own model designation. It wasn't just an option any longer. They got better bucket seats. They got, oh, different grills. They got different accessories. The engine choices remained the same as the previous year, except the tri-power option was discontinued in the mid-year of 1966. Now, the reason was they came up with the factory Ram Air setup and a 744 high-lift cam. Approximately 35 factory-installed Ram Air packages were, were built though 300 dealerships installed rare, rare Ram Air packages themselves. That Ram Air system, single four-barrel, fresh air, that bumped that single four-barrel engine up to that 360 horsepower. What do you need those two extra carburetors for if you got a single four-barrel making that same horsepower? 67, few styling changes. They continued on. Hard tops, there were 65,000 GTOs produced in 1967, 9,500 convertibles, and the Sport Coupe at 7,000. GTOs saw several mechanical changes in 67. As we said, the Tri-Power was gone now. It had a Q-Jet. The 389 engine received larger cylinder bores and uh, was now 400 cubic inches. GM had stopped there. Oh, you can only be so, so, so. Anyway, they went up to 400 cubic inches as did Oldsmobile Buick. Chevrolet, though, got the 396 in late 1965. So they kept the 396 through the 1969 year. 1970 became a 402, but so they didn't confuse people. They still called it an SS 396. The second generation came out, and these were the more curvaceous GTOs. And 
It was a seller, an immediate seller. Pontiac got the Endura rubber-coated front bumpers, so it was color-keyed. Starting the look of today's cars, where we have the rubber bumpers, Pontiac got it first in 1968. The car was an instant hit. The styling was better. It looked good. They improved the steering. They improved the brakes. You got disc brakes, guys. You can actually stop this baby. Concealed windshield wipers and a host of other things that came along with the mid-sized car. But the Pontiac GTO set the standard. It was the muscle car to beat. And it was popular. Still is today. A good GTO draws a good hefty sum if you take him to auction and take a look at him. Mike Jacobs says his mom had a 65 GTO and traded it for a 64 vet. Oh my gosh. Well, nice move. Wrap your ass in fiberglass and get yourself a Corvette. Your mom had the right idea. But the GTO continued on through 1974. Although it got bigger, it got heavier. They went to the 455 HO motors, putting some torque down, 370 horsepower. Oh, baby, these babies were quick. But they were getting heavy, and they were getting bigger. And the judge came out. Here come the judge. Here come the judge. My friend Ron Dasher had one of those judges back in 1970. Uh, that was his graduation present going into college. He got that baby four-speed, bright orange. They call it red, but it was orange. And that thing was quick. I remember him taking me up the street one team. He said, put a $20 on the dashboard. If I accelerate and you can reach it, it's yours. You can't reach it. It's gone. And that baby moved out. By 1971, they put scoops in the hood. The Endura front bumpers continued on. The cars got bigger. They got heavier. And that was the demise and the ending of the muscle car era. Now, it kept going, but they downsized the motors. They downsized the performance. By 1973, the GTO was now a trim option again on the Le Mans, and it was a big car. I mean, it was the intermediate but it was as big as the full-size cars were in the 60s. It became a trim and more of an appearance option than a performance option. Same thing happened with Buick Oldsmobile and Chevrolet, all getting that bigger-bodied car. The fourth generation in 1974, well, that was a disappointment to the enthusiasts. It was based on the Nova, the Chevy 2. Well, Pontiac, Oldsmobile, and Buick all got a variation of that machine, and they put the stickers and the grill and some of the woo-ha of the GTO on the 74. But it was the end of the muscle car era for Generous Motors and most everybody else. However, GM saw the light at the end of the tunnel. It, in 2004, reintroduced a car, calling it a GTO. It had no economy counterpart. It had no other economy car features. It was a performance car. It was made by their subsidiary in Australia, Holden. And it was the Holden Monaro down there. It was a good-looking coupe. And my friend Ron, who had the judge, well, he's got one of these, too. Loves it. Matter of fact, we're going to go see it a little bit later today. And it was a very impressive car. Not only did it stop, it turned. It performed. It went great. But it was expensive. And that was the downfall of the rebirth of the GTO. Besides the fact that Generous Motors and their infinite wisdom canceled the whole Pontiac program, that was the end of the GTO and Pontiac performance.
I'm Hot Rod Bob. You've got gas, the morning edition on a fantastic Friday. Hope you had a great weekend. Remember, gas brought to you by Service Tech Equipment in Simi Valley, California. All the equipment you need to work on the car you got in your garage, your shop, what have you. I've got their equipment in my garage. You should, too. Contact Craig Heidenthal there. Check it out. Mention gas, the great American auto scene. Get a 10% discount. Check it out. Valley Head Service. They're doing some work for me right now on a cylinder head for a car I'm building for a museum. Check them out. Valley Head Service. They work on the mundane to the exotic. From multi-can to multi-valve, you name it, they work on it, and they get it done right. I'm Hot Rod Bob Beck. You've got gas. The morning edition. Thanks for tuning in. Check us out on YouTube. It goes on YouTube. We've got Two Tired Guys Productions with our other show, Talking About Cars with Randy Cardoon. Take care, folks. Have a great weekend. Post your pictures. Let me see what you did this weekend. Take care now.